0: Happy New Year everyone, first interview of the year and um, it's with a guy who has helped and influenced many many coaches out there, um, thousands I would have thought, um, over the course of the last 10 to 12 years, um, particularly those who are familiar with uh, with his Twitter account. Um, Coach Tony Mee is a guy who many of you won't have heard speak, um, but he's a guy who is, is certainly will certainly will be familiar in terms of the content that he's shared on Twitter. I started following him in about 2012-2013, um, used some of the, the resources that he shared, and wasn't long before I, I had reason to, to get in touch with him. Uh, I had a, an FA Vars side, uh, or a side with an FA Vars tie, uh, and desperately needed a physio at late notice. Um, and without really knowing me personally, he, um, he got on the phone, made a few phone calls, and within an hour or two, had uh, a guy called Adrian Littlejohn, the, the former Sheffield United and, and Plymouth Argyle striker who was just embarking on a career in physiotherapy after finishing playing um, and had and got him sorted uh, for, for that fixture and um, I was I was just so grateful for his help and to be honest it was symptomatic of the guy um, and what I've experienced w- with him ever since. Um, brilliant fellow who I'm lucky enough to have got, got to know well. Um, he has worked as head of coaching, or sorry, head of academy at, at Rotherham United, uh, academy manager at York City, um, then went to Scunthorpe United um, before uh, his current um, role, which is at, at uh, Doncaster Rovers in the academy there. Um, but as I say, the guy's are just incredibly selfless. Um, he's helped so many people over the years. Um, he's just a he's, you know a, a guy who has influenced so many, so many young players. Um, he's worked with some great names in the game as well at the, the various clubs that he's been at and we'll touch on those a little bit. Um, but I hope you all really enjoy listening to the guy's views on the game, to his experiences, how he sees the, the game and how he sees the, the, the journey that he's been on as a coach. Um, not only in, in helping players but helping other coaches. So um, I hope you all enjoy it. Okay, good evening everyone. Um really pleased to uh, to welcome Tony Mee on to Football 360 today. Uh, hi Tony, how are you doing? Okay, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good, good stuff. Okay, um, Tony's a guy who uh, I've, I've known for, for quite a while now, and I'm sure a lot of you who are familiar with uh, the, the the Twitter sphere um, are, uh, are certainly aware of his account. And you may not have heard, heard him uh, speak a huge amount. You, you may have seen a lot of content from his account, but um, this is going to be a great opportunity for uh, for many of you to understand Tony probably a little bit better and his views on the game. So, really looking forward to this, Tony. I'm going to get straight into a warm-up of sorts and ask you a few questions, so, first of all, favourite player of all time and why? Hampton And why?
1: Something, something something different, he wasn't a player that I would have necessarily... When I played, I I would have modelled, modelled myself on, I would have said someone like Brian Robson, but as I got older, I just couldn't resist watching him, you know, the way he strutted about the pitch, the way he carried himself. Obviously, there's yeah. a there, but, you know, just the kind of... A genius, an enigmatic genius, I suppose.
0: Yeah, definitely box office. Definitely box office. Great stuff. OK, favourite team ever and why? Oh, God.
1: <laughs> you get a stick with this all the time. Uh, Man United, um, which has been painful the last few years. Yeah. But the reason is... Is a bit of a, a different one. When I was a kid, um, so my, my my dad was a, a Leeds fan, as far as I could fathom. When I was little, when I was really young, and um, and then you went through phases with, with the clubs that were popular at the time, big at the time. So the Liverpool team of of the sort of late sixties and early seventies, but then uh, a mate of mine uh, called David Woodford, his brother went to university with Steve Koppel.
2: Um,
1: okay. And he came home from uni one night and we were going to watch Donny Rovers. Uh, and believe it or not, although I work there now, I did go and watch him as a kid. Um, at
2: Bellevue?
1: Yeah, at Bellevue. And, yeah. Uh, and this this one night, Dave's brother had come home from university um, and he says, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go to the Rovers game. And he brought Steve copple home with him from university, Uh, he could have been lying his backside off as far as I know, but (laughs) ever since then, probably 11 or 12 years old, he'd just signed for Man United, Um, so that was it then, I'd been in a car with Steve Koppel, so I became a Man United fan, and it's not like I was glory hunting, because this was probably either just before or just after they got relegated out of the old first division with the... uh, it was yeah. back heel.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: relegated them, but there you go.
0: Yeah. Okay. And and any particular vintage of the United teams that you like? You, you know that you would you would say is your favourite eleven out, out of the United teams over the years?
1: Oh, yeah. Um. I think the the, the teams teams any team with Canton are in and obviously then you've got the the class of '92 who were incredibly. Thestle for a long period of time. Um, and they always, those those eras, when Cantona came into that group, I don't think that they could have achieved what they did without him.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: and it was at the time when Fergie was getting rid of some of the old heroes, if you like, so was, the Robsons were getting moved on or getting to the end of their career. Yeah. Uh, got Hughes out the door. Um, you know. So. It was a bit of a transition period and I think that uh, having Captain there was probably the catalyst for those kids to, to kick on a little bit. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, now that makes sense, I'd agree, I'd agree. Yeah, I mean, there must have been a, it must have been a huge influence on them, that's for sure. Okay, great, um, third question of four. If you have a cup final with the best players in the world um, and you have to pick a manager, for, uh, to, to get them to win that one game that one-off game how do you how do you go about that and, and, and which manager would you pick and why?
1: Wow um, I'd have to go with Ferguson I'd have to go with Ferguson just as the, as the one with the most experience of that kind of situation uh, he's probably there's probably never been a situation in football. That he's been unfamiliar with, so one yeah. nil, one down, you know, going deep into the game and and be, still being behind. The That's old, so
2: good
1: the, the Fergie time stuff. Yeah, and they always when Man United weren't playing well, they still found a way to win games. Yeah, the Chef Wednesday game when Bruce scored the header. Um,
0: yeah, three two. Yeah, 3-2,
1: yeah. you know, yeah. things like that, and. Um, he just got the job done. He, there wasn't a situation that he'd never been in, so there wasn't a situation that he could never handle.
0: Yeah, yes, yeah, good, good answer. That good answer. I like that, Tony. I'm a little bit concerned with uh, all of the Man United references, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll skate over that quickly. Okay, final question uh, in the quick fire stuff at warm up. Um, what give us a little known fact about Tony Me? Something that most people won't know.
1: Oh God! Oh dear. Um... Football-related or non-football-related?
0: Anything, anything. Is it, most of the answers that I've had on this have been non-football-related, but um, let, let, let's let's keep it away from your music taste as well, if we can do it, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so
1: as a kid, um, and I'm talking now, primary school, junior school, all the way through comprehensive, I was always in the school, players, as really school plays. School plays?
2: School plays. Right.
1: So, I was Aladdin in Aladdin in junior school. I was Buttons in Cinderella, um, and then when I went up to the to the big school, to the comprehensive school, I was always kind of su- in a, a more supporting role, never in a lead role, uh, yeah. but involved in in school productions, and I loved it. I really loved it.
0: So you're you're um you you might you might have missed your vocation going into the military and then going into football into professional okay. football.
1: I'm not the next Brad Pitt or anybody else, Um, so yeah, I think I've uh, I've made more good decisions than bad, but I really enjoyed it at the time.
0: Nice one, good, good answer. Okay, great. Good stuff. Let's get into... um into the more kind of I guess the, the more discussion um, I want to hear your views and, and I'm sure people want to hear your views so I'm gonna start off with you you, you started in um, in in the game uh, at Rotherham is, is that right when you when you started coaching full-time
1: yeah so 2002 uh, I was throughout the army having served 23 years
2: yeah
1: and I passed my full badge, the old full badge of course, a few years before that, uh, but I was st- I played right up until the end of my army career, so even at 40 I was still playing fairly regularly. And um, By then I'd, I'd started coaching, so about 37 38, I started coaching, I was posted down in the south-west um, and I coached at Amesbury Town and I coached at a club called Bemington Heath Harlequins yeah. in the Wessex. Um, and I really started to get a taste for it, and I thought that when I when I got out of the army, that it was something that I could probably do. So, yep. uh, chanced me in. I was on a course at Lillishall with a guy called McHennigan, who a lot of folks, especially up this end, will know. Ex Harrogate Town manager
0: and Leeds United uh, assistant manager. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was part of Wilkinson's backroom staff when they won the last division one.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, he was a semi-league and Nick was at the time he was the kit man at Rotherham, but he also coached in the academy. Okay.
2: Um
1: it was a tutor's course at Lilly And uh I said, look, you know, I would have go about getting a job when I get out. i getting out of the army next year. I'm moving back to South Yorkshire. I'd already moved my family back by then. And he said well just just send a letter in, um, there's no A-licensed coaches or not many a license coaches about and uh, and that was that. So that got me in uh, through a chance me in really. Um, I met up with John Bilton who was running what was the Centre of Excellence at the time uh, and they threw me in the deep end with a group of under-16s uh, and led me from there at the time of the a partnership with a College, Thomas Rotherham College in, in Rotherham, who were running a football programme, partly funded with European money, with Objective 1 funding I think they called it at the time, um, yeah. and gave me a full-time job doing that, as well as being a part-time coach at Rotherham United, and that's what got me started.
0: Brilliant, okay. So, um, and that's 2002, so you've been in the game 18 years then, yeah? Yeah, horrible, isn't it? Horrible. Yeah. Oh, brilliant, brilliant, well, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a great second career. Uh, I think, I mean what, what I wanted to ask you first off really on on that is, 18 years, uh, when you talked about Centre of Excellence, you made some references there that probably most, you know, a lot of younger coaches won't have heard of, you know, how has the game changed, how has academy football changed, uh, how has your job, um, and, and I guess your view of, of professional football and, and the processes that develop young players in professional football, how, how has that changed in 18 years?
1: Um, I think the biggest the biggest thing, and, and I know that I've been a critic at times, is the introduction of the triple B, And
2: yeah.
1: clubs, if you like, now being entitled to call themselves Academy. There was a time, certainly when I first started, like I said, I mentioned Fences of Excellence, so I'm, I'm fairly certain, but I wouldn't want to be quoted on it, that at that time, 2002 when I first started, it was only the Premier League clubs that could call themselves academies. Everybody, oh, okay. yeah. And because I think it was felt at the time that it was it was diluting the, the quality, and obviously Howard Wilkinson had done his thing about um I don't know what they called it now that had come in in the late nineties. We we started really to to professionalise academies, and like I said, when I first started, you were given a bag of balls. Some cones and some bibs and pretty much left to get on with with whatever you wanted to, to teach. And, and I remember looking back at the end of that first year um, and going, I didn't do many defending It was just whatever you wanted to do. So there was no real no, no real syllabus in place and no real you know you had one centre of excellence manager who overlooked eight teams whereas now We've got certainly at our club, we've got the lead foundation phase coach who's probably looking after 8s to 12s. We've got the lead YDP coach, myself, um, and I'm looking after 13s to 16s.
2: Yeah.
1: We've got the other 18s coach who looks after the full time scholars and, and a 23s coach. You, know, you might have had, well, certainly when I started at Robin, we didn't have a 23s, for example. Yeah, that's. That's been a, a fairly fairly recent um, thing with a lot of clubs, you know, do you run a 23s because there's a couple, obviously a the cost implication, there's yeah. massive criti- criticism about the lack of competitiveness, you know, when, when you try to push group players into the first team, it's all yeah. been used development football and, and they haven't had that cut and thrust um, on
2: uh,
1: FA Youth Cup um, and that type of thing.
0: Yeah. So, so, so what
1: be the biggest absolutely the professionalism of it all, yeah. So sure that you've got, um, making sure that you've got a syllabus, making sure you've got two coaches for every age group, that you've got proper physios, introduction of science, psychology, all those things, yeah. A bit of-
0: okay, nice. I mean, that, that, that makes sense. I think, um, what, what I, I mean, I. I Funny around the time uh, in I think my first job at the university I was I was I was I was teaching YTS footballers and and I remember the syllabus the timetable that they had the scholars effectively but they weren't called scholars then uh, or they, they maybe only just started calling them scholars um, and I remember they the, certainly from club to club because I worked at a number of different clubs they all seem to have different schedules yeah. they all seem to kind of work to I guess. The methods, just simple things like if they were going to do, do some ball work, they I've set set kind of um, warm ups or set ball related activities that you can see the coach had, had, had probably had from his own playing career back in the 80s, for example. Um, and yet that differed from one, one club to the next um, massively. There was no consistency, whereas, you know, I sit from the outside looking in, not having worked in a professional game. Um, so, well, certainly, since then, it, it feels like the consistency is, is massive. There's still room for personality, but
1: I don't think that there's a lot of there's not. There wouldn't be any sort of standardisation, if you like, from club to club, other than in the way that most clubs now run their timetables. I think that every coach has got fallbacks that that they'll revert to, or yeah. they make particular favourite passing drills that that they like to do at the start of every session for whatever reason. Yeah. It's you know, mental prep, familiarity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, every club will be different. Some yeah. clubs will do reactivation work with bands, for example. Yeah. Uh, every, that is, I think, you know, you mentioned earlier on about trends and cycles. Some of that stuff gets done um, at every club. Some of it doesn't.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, now, I, I, I've been on courses and I've you know, I've usually been working at the lower end of the scale in terms of cat three, cat two, cat one. So when I've done, i yeah. Well, we do a jump test first thing in the morning, um, and if you don't get above a certain height, they don't train, or they do a spit test, or they do a wellness question And I just, well, if I don't want to train, I'll fill it in and say that I don't feel very well, or if yeah. I think that I'm you know if I think jumping too high is going to make, make me me in a hard session. Oh, I won't jump very high. Yeah. So, you know, those kinds of things. I guess the more money you've got, the more you've got to find to spend it on.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. Me. You
0: yeah. mean going dinosaur, dinosaur. But you know, that's to me. No, no, that's it. Makes sense to me. Um. Okay. And then, in terms of the the, the development platform, because ultimately, you know, we all know you're there to produce players and to get players to the highest level and hopefully get players in the first team. I think, I mean, would you agree is, is that if you had your, if you set out Tony Mee's criteria for success in the academy, would it be the number of players that you've seen graduate to the first team level?
1: Um, it, It's a tough question to be fair, because ultimately that is your job, you know, you, you're trying to help the club out by either producing players for the first team or producing players that can be sold on.
0: Um, Yeah, it doesn't have to be your club's first team, does it? It could be someone else's first team, as an example.
1: That was my, this is easy to say, because if if that was my personal criteria for measuring it, I'd I'd have to say no, because I would rather, if if you look at the number of players that end up having to go the college route, for example, Yeah. that's the club over here and do their education programme, or they finish their uh, their two-year scholarship and then they get out to the States, for example. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody knows the figures that are bandied about about how many players get through. Ultimately, it's not your decision. And, I, you know, I, I won't name the club, but I, I, this is an example of how things can be taken out of your hands. So we played a club at time. We were talking to their academy manager. And they were having a, I think it was in 18s game. And they're... What they considered everybody within the academy, their best player, best scholar, one of the fittest boys. Um, you know, he was on way ahead with all his education, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah,
1: nailed on. The so this team manager comes out to watch this a, a section of this game, turns around and goes, "He's not for me," and walks back in. Well, you know, it's not joined up thinking, is it? And nah. surely that yeah, it needs a longer discussion than that. And that's why I think that under 21's group, under 23s group are really, really important because they do get exposed to the first team staff
2: a yeah. lot
1: than they used to. Certainly, again, going back to when I first started at Rotherham in two thousand and two, where there wasn't a reserve side necessarily, and there certainly wasn't an under twenty-three side. If you weren't ready to play in the first team at under eighteen, with a club on a on a small budget, the first team manager is going to turn around and go, "Well, what use is he to me?" And unfortunately, yeah. there aren't that many Wayne Rooney's, Bill Foden's, call them what you like, who can step into a first team environment at seventeen or eighteen.
0: No, no, not at that age. No. Yeah, yeah I'm with you. I'm with you. and what and, and what about um, the concept of reserve team football or B team football? What do you think
1: about that? Well, I think I guess because I've I've only really been involved in the game in where the current formats in place, where everybody criticises the format and said it's not competitive enough that results don't matter. Uh, you know, you might get your under eighteen team might be top of the league at Christmas, uh, but then after Christmas you might make early decisions on your second years who aren't going to yeah. get contracts or or under twenty three contracts. You ship them out, and you finish up the sixteens, um, and then you end up, you know, mid-table or whatever. You could use the argument that actually, if we're gonna if we're gonna train them to win, get them all there till the end.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Top of the league at Christmas, go and win the league. Yeah. Because you'll only ever get one opportunity to do it, or two opportunities to do it as a scholar. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, nice.
1: and, and, and and you know. I know we've just had this thing with our under 16 where we got to a national final. You yeah, they're, then. they're 17 next year, so
2: for, yeah, those,
1: yeah. for those boys, it was a really big deal. Yeah,
2: yeah. And,
0: and for everyone, it should be. It
1: should yeah. be. Then, you know, they're not, they not, some of them have been on scholarships, but not all of them by any stretch of the imagination. So, the, in academy football, you're not there to develop teams, you are there to develop as many individuals as you can to the highest level you can and if that takes them somewhere else once they finish with you as long as they're still playing football it's the result as far as i'm concerned
0: yeah great great answer i think that's i mean that i think there's a lot of people out there are very cynical about the motives of academy coaches and, and, and this is a, that's a really it's a really well balanced answer. I like I, I like that. You know, you're not you're not getting away from the fact that we're there to win. You know, that, that you're there to win matches, and the, and the players need to understand how to win matches as part of their preparation for the future and their future career. But they're also human beings as well, and they're going to go off and do, you know, goodness knows what if, if they don't make it in the game. So, so yeah, so it's obviously a hot topic at the moment. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I just wanted to, to 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 move I guess that on a little bit in terms of. We referenced it a little bit the, the cycles, the trends, tactical stuff, um, the stuff that's fashionable, I guess, for want of a better expression. I used something, uh, word or a phrase the other day I said, I'm hipster shy, which which I meant to mean, um, they're the hipsters in the coaching circles. Um, I'm they'll always a little bit cynical about them. Sorry,
1: they'll hate you for that, by the way. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm
0: sure, but um. I, I'm, I'm probably I'm, I'm I'm heading towards dinosaur territory myself. I think in, in that respect, and, and, and no no problem with that. But I think I guess my point there is you know there's there's a, a lot of I think the impact of new tactical systems get blown gets blown out of proportion a little bit, and the balance of a number of different factors that contribute towards teams performances. Yeah. for me, are are, are always, are, you know, always need to be considered. But I mean, what, what's your view in terms of, are you seeing anything new out there in the game? Are you seeing things that are done slightly differently or better than, you know, you could can, you can, you can talk about Kenny Dalglish's Liverpool side in the eighties and say they played great football. You could say, well, no, 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 because Barcelona under on the, on the Pep did. You could say that now Klopp's team have, have evolved that even further. I mean, what you know, what, what are you seeing that's new or what's your view on it? I
1: think the kids are better educated.
0: And yep.
1: again, I to speak to the clubs that I've worked at, um, and, and I've done this wherever I've gone. We've always worked on a number of systems across the year. So whether we, work, whether we play 4-4-2 flat for six weeks, play 4-3-3 for six weeks, then move on. We're doing 12-week cycles at the minute.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: we've only use three formations this season. But they might be based on a conversation that the academy manager will have with the first team manager at the start of the year. Yeah. Uh, over the course of the year, we're going to play primarily three-five-two. Okay. So you educate your kids, filter that down through the academy. So if you go uh, look at the IX system, for example, where they they always talk about four-three-three, three. everybody, yeah. knows three or a slight variation on it. The first team we're going to play four-three-three. And three. Um, in uh, for me, the danger of that over here is when the first team manager changes what if his beliefs and his system changes so yeah. if we play three, five, two and play through the thirds and this that and the other and a new manager comes in and says right just get the ball at the top end and fight for it because let's not be let's not beat about the bush where I'm working is League 1, League 2 at the moment there the clubs that I'm working with yeah. the, the reality of it is that that's how a lot of footballers played at League 1 and League 2 not all of it um, so, over the course of the season, we're trying to educate the players in three, at the moment, three different systems. In the past, I've done maybe anything up to five different systems. Yeah, the idea of that is to give the kids a rounded education. But they have a better understanding of tactics, and they also have a better understanding of tactics from things like playing as much as I... Uh, things like FIFA.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean.
1: The players are better educated. In yeah, terms. they might not always be better technically than the players of the street football era. Yeah, but, but for, for all the people who say bring it back in, you know, how can you replicate playing street football when when I was a kid, our goals were on two different streets; they were around the corner from each other. You know, you, there was no hardly any buses. There was hardly any cars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know that it's slightly black and white um era. No, but, but it's, it's it's a fact. It's it's an absolute fact. You can't play. <laughs> I think on my street, every car every house has got at least two cars.
2: Yeah.
1: We really, really play street football. Yeah. yeah
2: the yeah.
1: kids outside, you know, and I'm a football person, but if the kids outside were playing football and banging the ball off the back of my car, I would
0: not be <laughs> happy. <laughs> I, uh, I I I agree. I've I've seen one or two of your uh, one or two of your rea- your reactions in the past, and I'm sure the, the kids at Scarborough take up chess or something like that instead.
1: Play somewhere else.
0: Yeah, yeah, but no. I mean, I, I think for someone who you know you're a bit self-deprecating sometimes, Tony, uh, and and you know your your vintage, let's say, and the fact, and, and you know talking about the, the word dinosaur, or whatever, but. Um, I think everything that you say demonstrates that you you, um, you you appreciate that times change, that think that the world changes, it's not just football, football has to cater for what's happening in the rest of the world, and if kids' education is changing, their development capability is changing, and you've got to move with it, otherwise you're left behind. Absolutely, and uh, you know, I think that, you know, we've
1: talked a lot about players, but coaches better educated, so... Yeah. As much as you want to talk, you know, coaches are better educated on systems. They're better educated on the stuff that goes on around the game, the psychology. You know, books that were getting quoted to me on coaching courses years ago, I just I've never heard of, but it made me want to go out and read them. Yeah. So, so that's what I've done, um, and I know that that's what other coaches do. I think there's a danger that you read too much, to read every book that comes out. Well. Nine out of ten say the same thing, they just say it in a different way. Yeah. Uh, well, coaches are better educated, um, but you can't, you can't dismiss all the stuff that got people like Don Howe, for example, in the reputation he got, Dave Sexton. Yeah. Uh, these were all, you know, these were coaches before I was a coach. These were coaches, you know, late 60s, early 70s, and into the 80s. And even now, I pick up. Um, if I cannot pick up um, books, old books, if I find them, I've got some great books from Alan Wade. From
2: Alan, from Alan Wade. Wade. Yeah, yeah. Wade, yeah, yeah.
1: The sessions aren't changed, you know. I, I, it's, you know, I, I put my sessions out there all the time. Some of those sessions I probably did when I was a kid. Football doesn't change that much. It's still a goal at one end that you've got to score in, and a goal at the other end that you've got to defend. Yeah. So, there's probably a million different ways to go from one goal to the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if, if the Wimbledon of the early uh, early to mid-80s are successful, it was to say that's wrong. You might not want to go and watch it every week, but it's successful. And football at that level, not the level that I'm working at, but football at, at that level, it's about success. It's about results. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it kept them in, you know,
1: it got them into and kept them in for a short while into the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, was, I, I'm, I'm pleased to say that I did have a little bit of involvement with them uh, when they came out to Germany for pre-season. And um, for all the, for all the, you know, the, the banter about them, um, for all the stories which, which are all true.
2: you've yeah. never
1: seen A more hard-working bunch of footballers. Really? Worked hard on the training pitch and partied hard off it.
0: Of course, yeah. yeah, For sure. And
1: a really good bunch of players.
0: And, I mean, from your memory of that, I mean, technically what were they like? Did they have a mix of technical players? I mean, look, I could name... Players. Sorry?
1: They had some really good players.
0: Yeah. They
1: weren't just, you know, bossing up the pitch merchants. Uh, John Gannon, uh, who went from Wimbledon to Sheffield United, with, United yeah. was an incredibly skillful player. Uh, yeah. Laurie Suresh. Yeah. Laurie Gilles was probably, for those that don't know, um, a Teddy Sheringham type player. Um, probably six or seven years before, Sheringham got the, the recognition that he
0: deserved. Yeah. Yeah, Glenn Hodges. Glenn Hodges is a really good technical player, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I, I, the reason I asked the question is because you know, I don't. I think everyone would imagine that that Wimbledon side would have been just I don't know, running, jumping into rivers and having big scraps and playing British bulldog and what have you. But they, that, it, it can't have been true. Sorry.
1: They did that as well. <laughs> I'm
0: sure. I'm sure. They
1: they would train you three times a day. So I would drive in from where I live. Yeah in the morning uh, and take them out running in the in the forests that surrounded the camp yeah Uh, and back in those days when I was when I could class myself as being really fit you know Dennis Wise would regularly beat me back to camp once we got onto the strategy but the rest you know they weren't distance runners but they would put the work in then they'd go off and have breakfast and a bit of a a lie down they'd do a a football session then Probably 10, half 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, train to lunchtime, eat, back out, and they could do another fitness session in the afternoon. This was obviously pre-season.
2: Yeah.
1: But they absolutely worked their backsides off, and you know, the players that we've mentioned added some quality in there as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, brilliant. What I mean, fantastic insight and fantastic. Stories. I mean, you know that, that that's such a famous team from from a period of time. That I remember, you know, when I, I, I hung off everything that, the, that what little media there was chucked out in those days, and the, you know, beat Liverpool in the FA Cup final and all the success that they had under Bobby Gould and Dave Bassett before. I mean, yes. it's anyone from that era, you know, you wonder. And, and there's there's a mystique about that team. So really, it's, it's a fantastic uh, to cover that. And I didn't expect to be talking about that tonight. So uh, that's brilliant. I no, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, there might
1: be you that listens to it. Sorry. It might be only me and you that listens
0: to it. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a mother. My mother's always the first one to listen to it and like it. Um, uh, so, okay, we we, we talking about them. S- some of the, some of the people that you've worked with in the game, um, at, at the, you know, who you know, are the senior managers reserve team, or, sorry, 23's coaches or whatever, or people have gone on, I mean, you know, I know you talk very highly of, of Paul Warren as an example, um, give us, can you give us some examples of, of, of kind of experiences you've had and, and people that you've come across that you, you, you just think highly of as, as either people or or, or, uh, or football people? Yeah, I think, um, I've
2: got to
1: be careful here because I might bump into some of them again.
0: <laughs>
1: so, one One is a great example. One is just a nice bloke, a really nice bloke. Um, He, when I was at the, when I was at Rotherham, uh, he was first there as a player, um, yeah. And all, but he uh, he moved away, and and then he kind of semi-retired, and then he came back, and he he wanted to get into teaching, so that's how I first made contact with him because I was working at Thomas Rotherham College, okay. He needed um, an audience because he was doing his Dettles course. What? Dettles. It was some sort of teacher training qualification. Okay, okay. So basically, he he needed to get some teaching hours and be on. And I, um, I sort of facilitated that with him coming into the college uh, and and doing some teaching in the PE department through uh, the head of PE at the time at the college. Anyway, he then. uh, He came back as a player, he was doing the... When I came in full-time, he was brought in as the fitness coach. He was kind of coming to the end of his uh, playing career. Yeah. Um, But unbelievably fit still. He really was a monster. Um, Yeah. He'd cycle into work every day and then train everybody else off the pitch. Yeah. Um, Probably one of the hardest trainers I've ever witnessed from the next door um, but Wally just he's just a really nice person um, and I think when you look at some of the stuff that's come out over the last 18 months and when you look what they've been through at Rotherham with the, the relegations and everything else anybody that knows him might have a bad word to say about him
2: Yeah,
1: just a, a real good uh, people person
0: Yeah,
2: and,
1: and now he's I'm really pleased he's having a bit of
0: yeah, he's, I mean, he certainly seems to be doing well this season, and I think in all fairness, from looking from the outside in, I don't think anyone expected them to go up to the Championship and, and do anything other than just survive or, or go down. So, um, yeah,
1: if, if You look at clubs like West Brom, for example, who were, uh, if you like, your traditional yo-yo club. Yeah. They might have been a yo-yo club, but that year that you spend in the Premier League did really cushion your fall for a year. Yeah. Back up the following, um, it makes a massive difference. Yeah. And from have never really had that that cushion, if you like, that that budget where you could sustain championship football. In my yeah. opinion, you know, yeah. you like what the budget is. Um, but you look at Huddersfield, for example, that one year, two years in a in the Premier League has allowed them to make changes. Um, lower down, yeah. What the long term benefits or, or or failures of that will be might not be seen for five or ten years because two years in a Premier League now is is big bucks.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, I mean it's massive, isn't it? It's a massive difference between that and and like you say, certainly the bottom end of the Championship and below that is just the absolute golf. It's light years away, isn't it? So, okay, um, let's move on to Twitter. Mm. <laughs> so I I um I, I got in touch with you first on there as many many people have done. I don't know uh, exactly what your latest number is, but there's there's it's a five figure number of people who follow you and and for very good reason. Um, how have you how have you found it from your from your point? Of view? You know what, what's Coach Tony Me got to say? You know I guess from the heart about what 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 Twitter's been like the experience for you.
1: It's been great for me. Um, there's there's a number of reasons really. Um, uh, if I if I think about why, when I first became a coach, for example, you you were pretty much left to yourself, your own devices. Yeah. So I, there was very little literature about. There weren't very many coaching manuals about, and what there were there tended to be the maybe something from the FA. And yeah. um, and I started hoarding and, and collecting anything that I could find um, to, to help myself really. Yeah. For uh, the FA Coaches Association, um, but it was it was a little bit hit and miss in terms of whether they put any CPD on, for example. Uh, yeah. They had a magazine, but what you could take from that was really down to down to you and i think that's the same with every coaching session so when i found a an outlet if you like some of this stuff that i've managed to, to put together it, i can believe we were sat in the office today uh, and we just moved to the York stadium and uh, i was working with Chris Kirby and Matt Hampshire at the time and a guy called Steve Moss and Chris introduced me to Twitter and like a lot of other people my first tweet was let's see what all this is about and then uh, I came across two people, John Brown uh, who I was fortunate enough later on to be in a position to employ although yeah. he made out of it, Uh <laughs> Hodgson who started something called the Coach's Bible uh, yeah. And it was basically, they put together something like I've done now in my own Dropbox. They got coaches to contribute sessions. They put it all in one place. And coaches could dip in and out of it. Um, but the trouble was, I think it was it was quite early on, I think they used Google Drive. And people were going into there and stealing stuff from it. So they were taking stuff out rather, rather than it being shared.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: Um, and basically, they were they were just plundering the files, and Oji used to Roger used to lose his rag on a regular basis on Twitter. He still does now and again, but he don't go on there very much um, yeah. in these days. So I just started sharing sessions. I'd started using Sports Session Planner by then um, at, at Rotherham, and there was a it was a real easy way to share what I did. And I just did it because, like I said, you, you couldn't really find stuff when I first started coaching, so I just started throwing this stuff out there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, your numbers start going up, and I'm like, "Well, oh, this is all right. But, you yeah, know, it's, the other side of it for me is, because of uh, the, the sort of, my domestic situation, if you like, I don't have much of a social life. So, it's a real, um, it's a real window on the outside world for me, and it gets yeah. me to a, like you say, we would never have met if you weren't um, if you weren't desperate for a physio one time when you came over to the mainland from Guernsey. You're right.
2: I've,
1: I've met I've met a lot of people through through Twitter, uh, and it's worked out <laughs> all right for me. A, a guy called Lee Merricks, who uh, who lives out in Canada, asked me to go out there and do some coaching for him. Just again, just off the back of the stuff that I put on Twitter. Yeah. So, for me there's not much downside the fa didn't like it every now and again when i was working for the fa as a tutor if i put anything that was remotely um critical or or controversial which and um you you know i had to bite my tongue once or twice (laughs) Um, but you know i've always i've really enjoyed it and for me it's fantastic it's a great tool and when people start to, it's funny because I'm having a, a conversation with Ben Morrison this morning about this. Um, and yeah. um, he's on his way to Baltimore and uh, for the U.S. Coaches Conference. Yeah. And he, he always tells me that when he goes over there, people see him in his Donnie Rose um, the first thing they ask is, "Do you know Coach Tony Me?" And I, yeah. I just, I think he's pulling my leg a little bit, if I'm honest.
0: Um, oh, I'm not sure. But I'm not sure,
1: Tony. Talking about these social influencers and. I'm like, oh, what? The, the social influencers that have got a million followers and end up fighting each other on guy sports box office, I, I don't get what any of these people are. So if I'm an influencer, then fine, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. But if, if it means that people are getting access to quality sessions, then I'm just going to keep doing it. And nobody's told me I can't. Um, yeah. And If they do, I'll probably just take whichever club I'm working for at the time name off the top and I'll keep sessions anyway because all it is is a drawing Uh, it's a diagram, it's what I'm going to do that night or what I did last night, it ain't going to necessarily work for you or or your team but if you think about the game and it encourages coaches to think, how can I tweak that, how can I adjust that, you know it's pointless looking at Pep Sessions and thinking you can put Pep Sessions on because you're not Pep So, you have to find what works for you, you have to find what works for your players. If I put a session on for, if I put a session on for session planner and and put it on Twitter uh, and it's eight versus seven, there's no guarantee that I'll have done eight versus seven that night. Yeah. I might not have had 15 players turn up. Yeah. Uh, So, I've got to think on my feet and I've got to adjust. I'm not going to scrap it, I'm just going to adjust it. Yeah. And it's an art for coaches, it's a real skill to make that work because nothing's ever perfect. It's like battle. We go back to the military days. A plan's only a plan until the first shot's fired.
2: Yeah.
1: Or, you know, your game plan's only a game plan until he throws the first punch that hits you in the face. Yeah. It, football's the same. Your formation's your formation, then you kick off. After that, nobody stands in a 4-4-2 or in a diamond or in a three-five-two because the game is constantly moving.
0: Love it, love it and um, I, I I think if if I had one criticism of of, of Twitter and the proliferation of information um, on Twitter and therefore I'd have to make you a little bit culpable for that given that you're one of the biggest resources out there, um, yeah. it's that people do try and pigeonhole it, do try and cut and paste and, and think that once they've got a session uh, written down that the job's done, <laughs> when well, actually yeah. that's when the real hard work starts as you say. Um, but. But I think, I, I, I still, I, I went through a period um, where I voraciously took everything I could find, your stuff, stuff I was finding off your uh, coaching family or whatever, and w- w- anywhere I could find it and I would I would, cat- would catalogue it and I would try and make it fit in what I was doing or I would, help, I would use it to help expand my knowledge and, and give me a bigger black book of sessions which I think every coach needs to have. And then I probably got to a point where I thought I don't need any more, I've got, I've got my my book now, I just need to keep thinking about how things are changing yeah. and, and start writing my own ones more and I realised that I was probably guilty of not doing my own sessions enough and using other people's sessions. Yeah. Uh, but there's no doubt about it, I mean the stuff that you put, because it's not just the, the sessions you put out Tony, it's, it's some of the stuff that you've done on position specifics, on you know on what you know some of the stuff that you put out there a few years ago and you've you've recycled it thrown it out there a few times but um to to to, to help anyone who's planning long term how to how to develop a young footballer how to how to understand how it relates to the real game itself and then how to communicate that to those players whatever level whatever age group i think is you know the more information that's out there the different ways that it's framed the more you get, people, you, you challenge people, and, and that's I think what a lot of the information does. You know, the session plans are one thing, but there's so much more that you put out there that I found really useful. Yeah,
1: and, and the majority of that, a lot of that stuff's not mine. It's the stuff that I found. Yeah. Uh, research paper. I'll I'll collect research papers. I won't read them, the majority of the time, but it might be useful to somebody else. Because I think that when people try and and I've got nothing against the degrees, but I ain't got one. So I don't understand the problem. I don't understand why they have to. It, when I start reading something, it's like been written in a foreign language. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's like that. So somebody had a bit of a, a bite the other week. Um, and I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. He, want, he's, he was doing his dissertation on canning. Fine, but what he called it, You'd never
0: think it was scanning. So, if you wanted to know about scanning, you would pick his article <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I, I well, first of all, I, I do have a degree, and I can guarantee you, I didn't have to work as hard for that as I have for many other things in life. Um, and it probably isn't worth the paper it's written on, wherever that piece of paper is. Um, but I think the, the 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 information. I mean, you. you I'll Give you an example of what you've just said, just 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 because I think it's relevant. I, I dropped Jed Davis, um, you know, the guy who, who wrote the Beales book. Um, I dropped him a, a, a private message a couple of years back and had a really good conversation off the back of it. But I just said to him, "Jed, I find your stuff really hard, really hard to get through. I, I'm, I'm intelligent enough. I'm not intelligent, but I'm intelligent enough for what I need in life." And um, and I just struggled, I lose, I, like you described there, I lose what I'm trying to achieve and what I'm trying to understand and why I got there in the first place. Sometimes in the words that he uses, because I find it just probably a little bit too highbrow for me and that might be down to my own short, shortcomings, um, but I, I said to him, I, I, it, it feels like maybe, you know, short, you know, slightly shorter definitions or whatever or, you or, or, you know, more everyday references might might be useful, and we had a really good conversation off the back of it. And he, he didn't take it in, in 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 any other way than how it was meant, which was just you know honest feedback. Um, and and uh, I 100 percent understand what what you're talking about because there's so much information out there as well, right? I mean, you you've got to got to be very good at filtering information these days if yeah. you want to social media it work for you. Yeah, I mean, I
1: uh, I I want I didn't get through the BLC book. I started reading it and I got to a point where I just felt that it weren't for me. That's not to yeah. say it's a book or that it isn't going to work for somebody else.
2: Yeah.
0: I,
1: um, I, I prefer to go into... I mean, SoccerTutor.com, for example, uh, they produce some really, really good books on... Yeah. on um, and there's some good sessions in there. But again, uh, for me... It's a lot more simple to understand, it's a lot more simple to relate to, and if I want to tweak it a little bit more, it's easier for me to tweak. Maybe that's just, again, maybe that's just my level of education, maybe that's just, I only want to understand it on a certain level, you know I mean, I I don't want to drill down. I know that football can be really deep if you want to break it down that way, Um, but i
0: for me, I don't see the necessity. I think it's a really simple game. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 well, I think what, what, where this leads me to a little bit, and it wasn't something I planned to talk about, was just, I, it feels to me like it's gone to a point now where we're almost full circle and we're going back to, I guess, a man management, man, man, or, or the respect for man management has grown since um, Mr Klopp, particularly. Mm-hmm became so successful, and so you know, so in fashion, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, what, what do you th- what do you think about that? I mean, w- would you agree? Is that is it, or is it just someone shining a light on another part of the game that hasn't been shown for a while?
1: Yeah, probably. I think that there's there's an element. um I, guess I don't know him. I, there's an element of he came in. The big grin, the big cuddles, the dancing about in front of the cop and all that type of stuff, um, which he did at, at, at Dortmund. And everybody was going, yeah, man-manager, but he never gets any teams over the line. I think he he lost something like five finals, was it, before he came to Liverpool? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's, now that's changed. He's, he's turned that round. So, he's got to be more than that. He's got to be more than... It's important to be a good motivator and um, and i can certainly think of another manager that i've worked with who or worked for rather who probably doesn't come across as a great people person or a great tactician but he was a very very good motivator
2: yeah
1: um, you can draw their own conclusions on that one yeah. i got him, but i'm not going to name him now Yeah. it gets it'll get blown out of all proportion Great
0: motivator, not the best on the training ground. Yeah, yeah, but but I think you know the the the, this it well it comes on to this. I mean, there's different. Everyone everyone has their different strengths, and every team and every management team, every technical body has its has its coaches, its sports scientists, its motivators. I I saw something Eddie Jones had. had, It was an excerpt from a, a a podcast and. Eddie Jones had said that um, outside of two people who set culture and um, you know the, the kind of people agenda, you need to, to fill a technical body, a technical team, staff with specialists. So yes. he said maximum one or two people who have those people skills, who set the culture, who, who drive the, you know from top down type thing. Um, and and we've all got different roles to play. I mean, you know, so I guess it depends on your pay level and, and the level you work at in the game as to how many of them you have to, have to do yourself. Because the higher you go, the more specialised it becomes, it feels.
1: Yeah. I think when you look at when you look at some of the size, the, the size of some of the staff that, that some clubs have, got. I think, what job have you got? Yeah. Yeah. I know, and I know that there's a lot now on. I was reading something yesterday about how important it is to have a, a set piece specialist or a throwing specialist. Fine, if that's you know if, if that works for you, then then great. But people have got different opinions. Um, if you want a an in possession and out of possession a transition specialist, hello the FA again. Great. Yeah. <laughs> no. That's you know, if that's what you need to make England successful and and win a trophy before I die I'll take that
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely me too pal me too
1: you know, I'm trying not to swear um, there's some some great expressions about it. what you do doesn't affect me if, if what you do works for you then great
2: yeah uh,
1: but I'm, I just sometimes roll my eyes and carry on working with my group of under 16s my small group and I know the small groups with small budgets and, and people who work long hours for not a lot of money who, who get the job done and if we get players through, great yeah, yeah. But if we if they're good people at the same time even better and if they don't get through but they're still good people, well, I'll take that
0: That's yeah it. for sure yeah okay um, okay I'm going to bring things to a close in a minute but I just want to ask um, who, who do you rate up there um, in terms of coaches that, that you see in the game at all levels? At all levels, you know, who, who who do you rate and why do you rate them?
2: Wow,
1: um, do you know what? It, it's not something that I. It's not something that I concern myself with because I watch football on the telly, but I can't do anything about it. I don't get emotional about it anymore.
2: No, don't either.
1: Because, because it's not my job. That level that I see, I'm looking over the top of you to make sure that Man United don't concede in the last few minutes. I
2: can't.
1: <laughs> well, what's the point in me losing my rag when early misses another chance for England or Lingard misses another chance for Man United? I can't affect that. I can't yeah. affect the first team. So I tend not you know, I'll, I'll look at them and I admire what they do and I'll certainly read their sessions if I see them out there,
2: yeah.
1: But I, I ain't got any heroes. I don't have any coaching. You know, the coaching role models, if you like, are the people um, that I, that I can see work on a on a daily basis. The people who um, who come into the club at night when it's sucking it down with rain and they've been working in the rain all day, putting satellite yeah. aerials or I don't know. We've got furniture parties got people who work outdoors, we got people who work in schools. They come in every night from their full-time job to do their part-time job. And, you know, they're the people that, for me, that I see on a daily basis. They're the people that I can affect uh, and they're the ones that will affect me because their teams, their players are coming up to me at some point and then I'll pass them on uh, full-time clip.
2: Yeah.
1: Barry McSheffrey yeah. and then he'll pass them on to Darren Moore where yeah. I am. but that's you know I've got admir- anybody who works in football who's a coach has my admiration Love
2: I'm not that.
1: I'm not a follower of Mourinho or Klopp or, or anyone else
0: Love it great it's a great answer mate really really good answer I like it it's very I mean very grounded and i you know, look, I've seen, I've seen you coach. I've seen, I've been down to Donny quite a few times and seen the the, the kind of people you're talking about there. And uh, I, yeah, 100%. Um, I can, you know, I, I just think it's a really nice answer actually, because let like I say so many of us talk about, you know, the more famous references I guess out there, but there are lots and lots of coaches up and down the country and in other countries who dedicated to their their passion for coaching uh, that they do for not a lot of money. Um, for not a lot of feedback and for a lot of hassle at times, um, but yeah, it's it's a really good it's a really good point that you make by, by saying that as well. Actually, I like it. But
1: well, the grassroots, look at the grassroots coaches. We get our place from grassroots. or well, they don't get paid at all.
0: Yeah.
1: So you know, when I worked for the FA when I was a tutor doing level one and level two courses, you know, you get an insight because I'm really fortunate and probably quite unique in that. I've never worked at grassroots football.
2: Yeah,
1: my first coaching job was in a pro club academy.
2: Yeah,
1: centre of excellence. But by working for the FA as a tutor, I certainly had a you know a decent uh, understanding of of what they have to do and what they go through. Yeah, get our players from.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important. It's important, and I, uh, I think. I mean. Do you think? I mean, are, are, you, are you? Do you get the feel? I know you're not doing the FA tutor job anymore, but you know, in your contacts, you know, as a as a professional club, the connections with local clubs. Are you? Do you feel like they're moving in the right direction? Grassroots football clubs.
1: Well, I don't watch enough grassroots football uh, because I'm I'm always working Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings. Yeah. The stuff that I tend to read, and this again, this doesn't fill me with to fill me with great hope, they seem to, but whether it's, you know, more people are keen to highlight poor practice than good practice. Yeah. The, certainly the coaching groups that we're both uh, in on Facebook, for example, um a lot of grassroots coaches are complaining about the same things that people were complaining about 10, 15, 20 years ago.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so yes, they're better educated, but then when they go back to their clubs, is it like the driving test? You know, you're taught to drive with your hands at ten to two, but as soon as they, as soon as you get that bit of paper, you're spinning the wheel.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a really, it's a good, good analogy I've heard before, but it uh, makes sense. I mean, I think the one thing I will say is that I, you know. I don't want to be too critical of the Spanish system because it actually produces the goods. It's, a, it's more about competition and winning at every level at every age group. Um, and by hook or by crook, they, they produce players. Um, but there's some things that they're doing in the UK, so in England, that are, are good. Are, are, you know, I think are, are superior to, I guess, what, what's happening over here. Um, so there's things that I certainly look at the, the UK system um, in a better light and put it in a better light, having lived over in Spain. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that first struck me about, um, about tournament football when I, when I was at Rotherham and we went across to the Mediterranean International Cup. Yeah. The number of, the, the number of foreign, in inverted commas, teams who thought their kids to, to die, to appeal for everything. I think there was a romance, I think there still is. A romanticised view over here that continental football is so much better. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think that there are as many skillful kids over here, talented, driven kids, as any um, any of the countries where I've been to. Uh, lived in Germany for a long time, um, watched some football over there, played football over there, uh, sort of semi pro get your expenses level, uh, and the club that I played for, we you know, we'll watch the kids play sometimes. They went not a the English um, barracks team. That was,
2: right.
1: It was just a few English kids. Yeah. Uh, when I've been to Spain, we've had really positive results against the Spanish team, played in Holland, um, and did my academy manager's study visit in Holland and I don't see, a, you know, I don't see a massive amount of difference. Their facilities are miles better.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I, I, I'd agree. 100% facilities are better, for sure.
1: And um, and the other big thing, uh, which uh, was in Gianluca Vialli's book, actually, which I read a few years ago, the one thing that, that always gets you over here is the weather. You know, they... It, he was talking about the difference between kids playing football in Italy and England. And the difference in temperature is probably as little, on average, as one or two degrees.
2: Yeah.
1: In wind chill factor is massive.
2: Absolutely. But
1: over here, when we're, you know, the old stop standstill or we want to explain or we want to demonstrate or we want to do this, it freezing really quickly. Yeah. So you have to find a way to, to keep them moving whereas they've got that luxury um, of, of it being that bit warmer and obviously I can see from the redness of your face that, that your weather isn't the same as mine at the minute. That's just
0: that's just five minutes in the sun for me pal, you know that. <laughs> Mate listen, if, if, if it's cold over there you know what you need to do, just run them pal, just run them.
2: Exactly, yeah.
0: <laughs> the ironic thing is... They're They actually run more than over here than they do in in England, where, where they need, where, you know, where, where sometimes needs must. Um, there's a lot more physical and, and non-ball related stuff uh, here for sure. So yeah. Okay. Listen, Tony. Um, brilliant. That's just over an hour um, and absolutely flown by. Really, really enjoyed it. It was, you know, we speak quite a lot. So I'm lucky to to have the benefit of your um, your insight and wisdom um, on a fairly regular basis. Um, but re- I really appreciate your time coming on this. Uh, I think a lot of people will enjoy their first taste of um, of Tony Tony in the flesh, so to speak, rather than Coach Tony Meade account. To um, uh, so yeah, I just just want to say thank you, thanks for everything that you've, you, you do for, for you know, you've done for me, um, but also for many other people in the game. I, 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 there are a lot of people out there who are influenced by you. That there's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, I think just to close, just to close off, um, one thing. Uh, that I want to make clear to everyone who, who's listening and, and watching. Um, Tony is uh, about to produce um, an ebook, which is going to be distributed um, uh, online, we think. Um, you, you, need to, you need to follow, follow Tony or, or keep an eye on his Twitter account for more details, but it's, good. It, it, it's really just um, getting some contribution for some of the sessions and some of the content that Tony has. Um, in aid of, of a charity to support Huntington's, Huntington's disease, which is something that's affected Tony quite a lot in recent years, um, and uh, I, I think the very least that a lot of the people who who have benefited from um, your work um, can do is to to put the hand in the pocket and pay a couple of quid for what is worth a lot more than that in uh, in a very good cause. So please, uh, for everyone who's who's listened to this and anyone who's come across Tony's work over the years. Um, Coach Tony Mee on Twitter. Get on there. Keep an eye on it. Um, it's, it'll be out before too too long, no doubt. Um, and uh, please spread the word um, because it's a, it's a very very worthy cause, very worthwhile, um, one that's obviously close to Tony's heart and um, and likewise mine as a result. So. Um, but yeah, just to just to finish off, Tony, thanks again for your time. I hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, let's see if, um, if if the people who uh, who watch it enjoy and are surprised by their uh, their first experience of Tony in the flesh. Me, you, and your mum. Stevie, Stevie. I think we need to close it off there. Listen, t- Tony, thanks a lot, mate. Look after yourself, and I'll speak to yes, you soon. Cheers,
2: mate. Take care. Bye bye.